everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. I am super pumped up for this episode. I've been looking forward to this one really a very long time because we actually had to reschedule Erica through no fault of hers, totally only fault of mine. And so I'm very excited. She is a network scientist, so a lifelong student of networks. She now brings those learnings to the venture capital firm Anthemis. Yep, that's correct. All right, I nailed it. Uh, where she applies <laughs> network science principles to drive portfolio company growth. She's also the founder of the Reliance Project, where she helps people understand how networks shape our well-being, relationships, and community. And that's what we'll be talking about today. We'll be talking about networks from the scientific perspective, business perspective, and then how that goes into well-being, relationships, and community. So as somebody who's been a networking business-focused nerd for, I don't know, six to nine years at this point, I have never once thought about it from the scientific perspective. And so that's been the part that has jazzed me up the most about this. Um, anything you want to add to the bio? Nope, that's great. All right. I'd love so, to just dig in. All right. So we've got a couple links coming in, uh, reliantproject.com for those of you that are listening to this. And that's spelled normally. And then linkedin.com slash in slash Erica E. Young. And then also we're going to drop the social link, which will be to Erica's book, which is on the Reliance Project page. We'll have the direct link for those of you who are watching the show on Facebook. For those of you listening to it, uh, probably pull the link or get to it through the website. So before we dive into this, I want to talk about our previous episode. One of the episodes we've already gotten the most feedback on, that was the art of scaling your business with webinar marketing. We interviewed Paul Yokobitis on the topic. So especially for you estate planning attorneys looking to get interested in webinar marketing, that'd be a great episode to watch after we're done talking to Erica about networking and how that shapes our well-being relationships and community. That one aired on Monday. Today is Thursday. So enough about that. Let's dive right in. I'm so excited. I can't even, I can't even, I can barely contain myself and I'm not kidding. <laughs> And if you watch other episodes, everybody, I'm usually not this excited, but I, I don't know. This is one that's- But it's something you want to geek out on, so. Yes, correct. Exactly. <laughs> I will find a more, um, I don't know, you, you're, a, you're, you're an academic in this, you're a scientist in this. So like, you know, it's not even a geek. It's a real job for you. For me, it's just being an awkward weirdo who wants to grow my business. Network but that's where it started. I mean, for me, I was, I had moved to London and I was trying to keep track literally in a spreadsheet. Who did I meet? In what context did I meet them? What strength of relationship did we achieve? And that's how I learned about the world of network science and, and that there was actually a science behind um, how we build relationships and how we cultivate our networks. And so it was through a, you know, a personal interest that this emerged. That's so amazing. Could, tell me more about that story. Sure. So I, I basically um, started tracking that information because I was curious. I was moving to a new city. Um, I knew maybe about 25 people, either through work or through, um, you know, previous parts of my life who happened to live in London at that time. And I was kind of curious, well, how would my network grow? What would it look like? Who would become important? You know, who would be an, a reliant, right, in that case. And actually, the, the term reliant, it's a, um, a British car manufacturer. Um, they don't make cars anymore, but that's where the, the term comes from. Um, and I was really interested in trying to understand that evolution over time. And it was actually when I captured that information over the course of the first year, and um, there were a bunch of insights that I generated that I'm, I'm happy to go into, but um, I was looking for a way to make a picture, like to map it, to visualize the information that I had collected. And that's how I stumbled on network graphs and network science. And then of course, as you well know, you go down the rabbit hole and, um, and you learn that there's a, a whole science behind this. But um, the things that were really interesting that I learned was around in what context were I, was I mo more likely to meet people that became important to me? And what were some of the kind of myths around how you make friends that were kind of debunked as a result of that experience? All right, so I wanna dive into that. But my, so my first question though, when you say important, like what was your definition of importance that you were trying to gain from this? Well, I think there's, 
you need a, a kind of a topology, right? Like some people think about it as a garden. You have perennials, you have annuals, you know, you have people that are important in a, in a moment in time because they're a catalyst to something. And you have people that are important because they're the people you can call when, when things aren't going well, right? Like when you need help moving a couch or you, you know, you get sick or you get locked out of your apartment. So you need lots of different types of people. So I think I'm quite generic in what I mean by important. Um, and it could be both in a professional and personal context, right? I don't think of those things as separate. Uh, but uh, but how do you populate? How do you put people into your life, right? I always it reminds me of the um, it's, it's a meme where it's like good friends help you move, great friends help you move bodies. And I just I've always that has stuck with me for so long. So yeah, I had a friend, and I had this massive mirror. Don't ask that I decided I wanted to put into my apartment, and he's he helps me carry it up four flights of stairs. And he's like, "The day you need to move out, I am not in town." <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So talk to me. You talked about some of the myths about making friends, and you know what you glean from this from a scientific perspective in terms of like the best places. How did how did that come to be? What did you find? So that the, one of the things that I found is that a lot of people assume that you'll grow from your existing base, right? You know, 25 people in the city, um, some of them you've known since childhood, like you're going to start there and your your friendship groups are going to grow or, or your, your relationships are going to grow from that. And I did not find that to be the case. I found they were already quite entrenched and embedded in existing networks, and they weren't really of the mindset of introducing me to new people or or looking for change. And so I found that it was actually much more helpful to ask for direct introductions from people who did not live in London. So basically I had a friend in New York, he said, you know what, I met this person at a conference that I think you'd really connect with, I'm gonna make an introduction. And basically um, those types of introductions were a lot more fruitful. And I think second thing that I found was there's, I have this idea of the, the niche event, right? So um, if you go to an event that's too big, then it's a little bit too generic. The reason that people there is, is too varied. Um, and so if you go to something that's smaller and more targeted, like a public event. Um, so for example, I'm really a quantified selfer. So um, going to an, a, a meetup on quantified self where there was maybe 35 people in attendance, I met one of my closest friends, right? Because we were both geeking out on that topic. We both happened to be there. We had chosen of all the things we could do in London to be there on that night. So that was really powerful, right? And and I actually have multiple friends that I met in those types of contexts. So that was actually another myth that was kind of like, I don't know, they, they say join a club, right? But I actually found attending these types of events were much more helpful. See, and that's so interesting because we talk about this all the time from the marketing perspective, the niches make the riches, but ultimately, I don't know that I've ever seen that linked to networking, but it does make so much sense that like you're cutting through a ton of this noise by hyper-focusing who else you're around. Exactly. And you can be a lot more authentic, right? Because you, you're genuinely interested in the topic. And so they're, um, that building that connection and that rapport is a lot easier. So at what point, I guess, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but like, at what point did you monetize this? Like, at what point does this go from how I meet people in London to your job? Well, I, so what I found and I was doing, um, it's, I, I won't go into the details of what I was doing, but I'm working as an investor, but at the very, very early stage in, in investment where you could almost describe that you're co-founding the business with the founding team. And so the, how anything happens for that very early stage business is all about the network. What is the ecosystem that is surrounding this team uh, or this individual that helps them to achieve, to figure out. Um, what market to go after, to seek investment, to seek co-founders, to seek early employees. And so I saw that the network was so critical to the success of that early stage venture that I turned to Anthemus, my employer, and I said, I'd like to think about this more. Like, I'd like to think about how we harness the networks in service of our portfolio companies and in service of all the stakeholders uh, in our ecosystem. And they gave me the go ahead. So that's how it became, uh, yeah, the thing that makes me money. <laughs> It's so interesting because like, I, so I'm a big fan of my life motto, high seas raise all boats. And it goes into this kind of similar concept. Like if all of us are looking out for each other as one person does better, everybody does better. And so I just, I love it from the standpoint of that startup model of like, I need to get to know, was it everybody or I need to get to know people in specific industries or like, how did you start? How did you start focusing, I guess? 
Yeah. So initially we were really focused on particular problem spaces. So we had a belief about um, the way the future was going to unfold and what markets might become important and what products or um, services might be valuable in that future state, right? And so we started hanging out with people who also cared about that problem. And by doing that, we could basically accelerate our learning about a particular problem space, meet the entrepreneurs that really wanted to solve that problem, and also build sort of the support network of who might be early customers, who might be mentors, who might be investors by embedding ourselves in those ecosystems. So that's kind of how we first got started. But then I started looking at um, more, I guess, more general things like uh, in the context of venture capital, co-investors. So basically venture capital firms take a minority stake and so they don't invest alone. They usually invest as part of kind of a syndicate almost. Um, and so that co-investment network and who invests with who is really, really critical to the success of a business. And this, see, actually there's an academic paper um, focused on uh, fine art that's actually done by one of the leading researchers in the space. His name is um, Albert Laszlo Barabasi. And he talks about the role of networks in making um, particular artists successful. Right. And so you see this play out in many different contexts where the network is actually driving the success. So this isn't some this isn't necessarily some sort of Silicon Valley. Who knows what I mean? This is applying through art. I mean, what what more what more non-science than art? But there's still a method to it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think you see this play out. I mean, uh, we've become a lot more familiar with this type of terminology or the, the science behind networks in the context of COVID because we have been hearing about our values and spread of disease and, and super spreading events and this sort of thing. And this is all network research. This is all network science. So these types of, um, they also shows up in the context of terrorist networks, right? So a lot of the, the work um, that's been going on in that space is really driven by trying to model those networks. Um, so you see this show up so many aspects of life. Well, that's why I always, it's funny when I talk to people about like on social media going viral is exactly what we're trying to prevent from COVID. Like it's that concept of just passing <laughs> things across exponentially through, you know, the, the World Wide web, through a community, through a network, through whatever. So exactly, exactly. But with a, I mean, ideally a positive spin, if the, if the message is good and valuable. Well, I, it depends upon what you go viral for, I guess. Yep. Um, so uh, here's my, Here's my question. I don't know what insight you'll have on this part, but like from that new new law firm owner, new lawyer, new to branding, trying to build their brand inside of a network, yep. what lessons do you have for them? Because I love the concept of you all just like jumping into a niche, jumping into other people concerned about the uh, a specific problem. Is that the same advice you'd give to somebody doing this from a business perspective immediately? Or do you sort of need a foot in non-business way to make it work as best as possible. I mean, I think when you think about it from the context of just mutual value exchange and wanting to cultivate, you know, like win-win scenarios to use a more typical business term. Um, I don't think that you need to have a personal rapport. You just need to be authentic in your delivery of, I care about the problem you care about. And I believe I can help contribute to solving that problem. And here is, how I am additive to what you already have, right? So I think it's it's about being authentic in that exchange, but it can be a, a predominantly a business. It doesn't have to be like, oh, and my cousin knows your brother's sister, so, or whatever, right? Um, it doesn't have to be quite so um, familial uh, in order to have an effect. I would say that one of the other things that I think is really important is kind of, I call it like, sending out the bat signal, right? But that's like consistently presenting on social media in different contexts, like your point of view, right? This is the thing I'm interested in. This is the thing I care about. I am writing about it. I am tweeting about it. I am, you know, um, have a newsletter about it or whatever, but, but building up that kind of um, proof that you genuinely care about the space is also really valuable. And then tailoring that message over time for those different sub-communities who where you can find that mutual value exchange for the problem that they're trying to solve. So, and, and that's where I think branding comes in. And that's where I think that niching becomes helpful. I don't know, for the ninth time, because we, we keep going back to that. So like, yeah, you know, the biggest, I think one of the most common ones we see in law firms is estate planning attorneys and financial advisors, you know, coming together, they've got that person who's looking for retirement, they want to make sure they have 
everything ready to go when they pass away. They want to make sure they've got the finances to retire. And so being able to come to that conversation with like, hey, I've got 250 great reviews online. I won these awards. I've been published in the, the bar journal or whatever would really help you from that initial perspective of like trust going in either way or knowing that you would do right by the similar client or the similar problem. Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Well, I think that all of those um, interactions, right, having those reviews or winning those awards, that makes you connected to a group of people who have access to other clients as well. So I think you can think about it quite um, from a network perspective of all of those things mean that you are connected to other humans because they were a former client and so therefore they could make a referral um, or because they dole out these awards and therefore are preceded as a leader in the space and could identify opportunities where you could collaborate where you know one lawyer does one part of the work and a different lawyer does another part of the work whatever the case may be because you might have collaborators in that context so i think thinking about how all those things are actually examples of a human network that you could tap into in a clever way as well and i love so you're talking about the you know, having the newsletter shown up on social media and, and what you did to first grow your group. Cause I always look at people like you're going to have the best success, I think with at least three niche points from at least from a lawyer perspective, like you're in this area, you do this kind of work, but what's that extra piece. And so I think it was cool that you saw it being like, all right, I'm interested in building a network and I'm in London and you're not in London. So who do you know? And like, that was your thing was that, you know, that the not geographically centered part of it so how many people knew somebody in your space in London, like they had to connect them with you because it might only be the two or three of you. There wasn't, you know, 75 people they knew in London that they were figuring out who to think of. Yep. Yep. And I think in network science terms, we describe this as what they call structural whole, which basically means you have access because of those overlapping either expertise or experiences or exposure you know, you might be a dad and you've lived in Panama, I don't know, wherever, Bermuda, and you've done this other thing that suddenly makes you unique in a certain context. And so you can do things and put things together that other people can't because of that overlap of experiences. And so that creates, um, you become kind of a, uh, uh, what, what's the word, like a broker, I guess, in that way. Um, and so I think looking for where you have that edge like where you were unique, what um, communities do you have access to that make you unique can also be a hunting ground for, for business opportunities. And like, there's a, is it a, is, there's like a psychological need to connect with people, right? Like we have that kind of innate in our core. And so it's so funny to me, like, so uh, where were you before you were in London? I was in Hong Kong. Okay. And then before that? I was in uh, mostly New York. There we go. So you've had, so, so imagine somebody who was in, Singapore when you were in Hong Kong and now you're both in London and before that they were in Boston and you were in New York like yep. it's crazy to me how like the farther away you go the broader some of those connections can be the closer you get the closer those have to be and so it's just it's amazing to me like it's nobody remembers that you're a lawyer nobody remembers that you do this nobody but they'll remember you're when on this trip with your kid they'll remember that you know you like the same sports team they'll remember like it's just it's so fascinating to me to see what people connect on? I don't know if yeah. that's the right terminology. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I, I also, I've gotten a lot less prescriptive. I, I So I host dinner parties pre-COVID in London. And I used to try and be so like, oh, I think this person would definitely connect with this other person. And, and I kind of pulled back from that because I had one interaction where this guy who's nearing retirement and this she couldn't have been 23, um, young woman, French, and the two of them happened to have gone to the same very unusual school. And um, and they just hit it off like a house on fire. And I'd never in a million years would I put those two people together. And so I think um, there's a great way of describing it. Like we are a network, right? We are a sum of all those different experiences and that there's just so many things that we can connect on. Well, and it's funny. So we got connected through David Homan who does the orchestrated connecting and we yep. put people in these rooms and not tell you why. And so like that's sort of half the fun. Well, I guess half the fun is talking about who knows what topic he has us talk about with random strangers. The other half of it though is trying to figure out like what's the what's the overlap, what's the connection, what's the, you know, whatever it is. And it's just yeah. it's what serendipity is he trying to engineer? Right. Well, so I the craziest one, and this I, there's no way this is how we were connected. 
But I made a comment to somebody how there are two Jordan Ostrofs in the world. There's me and then there's a salesperson in Boston. And somebody was, and somebody in that group was like, actually, there's a third one. It's a female J-A-O-R-D-Y-N Ostroff. And I was like, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> and there's no way David could have, could have set that no. up. I don't think, no. but it was just such a, a fascinating, like moment to connect on something so weird. So as we move into the, how networks shape our well-being relationships and community, anything else that we want to cover when it comes to like building that network or things to think about? Well, I think, it, I guess it really comes down to these kind of fundamental fundamental myths that we have about connecting with others that I think really hold us back. And so, um, and the first and foremost, I mean, probably if people are listening to this, they're already bought into this first one, but a lot of people just think what they know is enough, right? And that everything else will come. And But I think getting over that hump of it's not only what you know, it's who you know, which sounds so cliche, but when you think about it, it's so like who we know shapes so much of our experience. It shapes our hob habits, it shapes what we think to be normal, it shapes um, what access we have to certain opportunities, what, you know, what the ceiling is of what we think is possible. Um, and so I think that being conscious of that is, is really critical. And I think particularly at this time, um, I think people have this uh, kind of assumption that they own their networks and that, um, that they have a, a lot of control. But I think people who don't proactively nurture their network, especially through a pandemic like this, can find themselves coming back into the world and not having a lot of people to hang out with personally or professionally. So I think making sure that you're actively cultivating and you're not kind of outsourcing that responsibility to an organization, to an alumni group, to your employer, right, um, is really, really important right now. I mean, there's a whole list we could go through, but I think those are two that are really important right now. Yeah, so let me, I want to dive into that a little bit more. So it's funny you mentioned the, you know, your your network is, your net work is your net worth. It's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's funny because like the way that you explain that though, I think is such a strong point. Like it's not just you got this job because you, you know, were in college with the managing partner's kid or something like that. It's you got this job because you were connected to the right people that formulated your thinking, that got you interested in law review versus not passing on that, that got you, you know, to this school versus that school, not so much through them actively doing it, but through them molding you into the person who achieved those things. Yep. And even, a, even at a more basic level, uh, so there is this another concept in network science called the adjacent possible. And it basically is what's possible is is kind of adjacent to what you already know, like what is actual, what is real. And, and that sounds really nebulous and conceptual, but it, it, think about it in the context of my own career production. Um, I was, I described to somebody, this was maybe five years ago. I was like, I want to be to startups what a producer is to boy bands. And the person said to me, but that job doesn't exist. So what are you actually going to go do? And I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll just be a COO of a, you know, startup. And, um, and, but I repeated this to people. And then one day I met my current employer, the, the CEO in Hong Kong at a conference. And I said this to him and he's like, that's what we want to do. And so, but if before I met him, that was not possible to me, right? Like that nobody knew that that was possible. But when I met him, suddenly it opened up a whole new world. And it turns out that this has been going on. You know, there's one company who's been doing it for since like 1998 or something, but so anyway, so if you think is if you start thinking about all the things that we know to be possible or not possible, like that's all of our life, right? That is shaped by in part what we see in YouTube videos, but mostly talking to other people that we well, know. I, I just find it funny. Like, so, you know, I grew up in the era of like, we were concerned about video game violence, which I don't know if we're still concerned or if we've given up that. And like, is that good for hand-eye coordination, whatever. But now you have like, I don't know, dozens of people streaming themselves playing video games online and making millions of dollars off of it. Like, I'm sure there are thousands of people doing it, period. But at least there's like a core people, you know, making millions off of it. And, you know, I, I, disc golf is one of my biggest hobbies. My wife gives me crap for playing disc golf. So I sent her this article, somebody just signed a $10 million deal over 10 years for disc golf, you know, as, a, yeah. as an influencer, brand ambassador, whatever it was, which so now my wife wants me to focus on disc golf more than our law firm. But, you know, that's a, that's a separate <laughs> conversation. Um, but it's, it's, but it's so true. Like what we didn't think was possible, the more that we, I really think it's, it's goes back to what you do. The more that we stay connected with each, with each other, the more that we globalize, the more that we have access to so many people, 
the more specific you can be with your job, with your role, with your goals, with your learning, with your experiences. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. And then, so then the next thing that you talked about in the other big myth was the concept of kind of putting this on autopilot. Like, you know, you can only coast for so long. So what are, what insight do you have on how to keep your networks going at a time like COVID when we may not be able to have that physical, I want to say connection more so than physical contact, but we probably yeah. can't have that either. Yeah. Well, I think there's two parts to it because there's one of, and you think about it uh, in a traditional work context, right? There are a lot of people who expected to see people at work every day, but they didn't build um, what they call multiplex ties, right? So you didn't also play, I don't know, foosball with them or, or disc golf with them. And you didn't um, you. go hiking on the out. weekend. I, you didn't go like you, the context in which you saw them was only at the office. And so therefore when the office disappeared, for all intents and purposes, that relationship sort of disappeared, right? Because you had no, no other context in which to, you didn't play online video games with them. You didn't do whatever the other thing was that you could do. So I think there, there is something about building what we call multiplex ties where it's like, okay, you've got a handful of friends you really like at work or business contacts that you've met, do something else with them. Build a relationship that is not based on this one type of interaction um, so that it can sustain as as life happens, right? Um, so I think that's one bit. And then the other bit is um, I like getting people involved in my projects. Um, so I've done a number of things over COVID um, to basically engage people in different ways, um, asynchronously mostly, but you know, we do some video chats and things like that. But um, I got people to contribute to a book of photographs of trees and I got people to, you know, just like, engage creatively in, in ways that they wouldn't otherwise just to keep things going. I mean, I know people, it's super simple, but they would like take a picture of like each mug. Like let's, you know, a lot of people have collections of all sorts of crazy mugs they've collected over the years. So they would just like take a picture of their mug with their morning coffee and share it with a handful of people on WhatsApp and then everybody would do it. And it's just something to kind of connect, right? Um, above and beyond just video. See, that's so interesting. So, and I guess we butt backwards into this. So when we locked down for COVID and have everybody at the office, we went to having, I think we may have started daily meetings and then it went to like two or three times a week. But one of the biggest things that somebody said we should implement that we have kept, and I don't think we'll ever get rid of, we do an icebreaker at the beginning. So every mm -hmm. meeting is somebody talking, you know, what's your, if you can only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? You know, what was the best concert you've ever been to? And it's been really cool to see the connections, exactly what you're talking about, the uh, multiplex connections that have come up from those conversations, whereas otherwise we may have skipped kind of organized chit chat for five minutes, but now having everybody on that same topic, it's been really funny to see how similar and dissimilar people are on the weirdest things. Yeah, no, we did uh, we did a similar thing where we uh, we had this like um, make a sandwich competition where we took pictures of the sandwiches we made at home and and we were like looking at each other and we're like, you eat what? <laughs> like what a weird combo, you know, like the things like that. That I just yeah, just something to connect over uh, with more seeing the whole person, right, and all and all the things that make them unique. And so how does that go into our well-being, our relationships, our community? Well, I think the, from a well-being perspective, right? I think our, our sense of self, um, well, maybe let's, let's go back and say, if we already agree that it's not only what you know, it's who you know, it turns out it's not only who we know, it's who they know, right? Which basically means the people we don't know, but the people that are connected to the people we know, also have an influence on us. And there's one particular researcher out of Yale who've, I, who's identified that if those people, not the people you know, the next people, actually not even them, two steps beyond that, if they're obese, you're more likely to be obese. If they smoke, you're more likely to smoke. If they drink out too much alcohol, you're more likely to, right? So your, your habits, your lifestyle choices, your, um, you know, the impact that it has on you is massive, right, to your well-being. And this is people that you have never met and may never meet in your life. And so, okay, so not the people I know and not even the people they know, but the people that they know. 
Yeah. So we're like four degrees. Three to degrees. Kevin Bacon. Three degrees yeah. to Kevin Bacon at this point is yep. still impacting us that much. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. What? So if you start thinking about like, I mean, we don't even have to talk about it as simple social isolation or, um, you know, just not having somebody to talk to and feeling depressed. Like it's, it's permeating all aspects of our lives. What's the, is there like an average number of connections that the normal person has with people along these lines? Um, well, there's, there are a couple ways of looking at that. So, um, Facebook did do an exercise to identify what is the kind of Kevin Bacon number for all Facebook people. And I think the number is down to 3.5 um, degrees that everybody on Facebook is connected through 3.5 degrees, which is insane. Um, and it's been going to coming down over the years. Um, right. So that's, I guess, one way of kind of quantifying that connectivity um, in terms of there's also this thing called the Dunbar number, which basically thinks about there's a set of people that are kind of like your close confidants, which is typically five plus or minus. Then there's the number that you would invite to kind of a dinner party. Maybe that's 15. Then there's an amount you'd probably invite to a birthday party. Maybe that's 45, you know, up to 150 to a wedding. Right. And so they were able to kind of identify that there are these kind of rings, almost like an onion of connectivity that people typically have in their lives. But that's really, really has gone down over time. So there was actually a recent study that showed that um, where I think, gosh, it must have been maybe the late 80s or the early 90s was the last time that they did this research. And um, people had on average a handful of, of close confidence that they could confide in. And basically now the number of people who have no one they can talk to has increased dramatically. Um, so I think there's, there's, um, there is what is I guess, expected, and there's like what's actually happening in the world, which is unhelpful. So, okay, I wanna make sure I got that correct. So in yeah. essence, over the last, let's call it 30 years, although we have had like our outer ring expand crazily, our inner ring has shrunk to almost nothing for some people. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you are, so you're three degrees away Im impacted by like, 80 million people, but you've lost sight of the five people you can actually talk to. Yep, exactly. Wow. It, it much makes... better put than I put it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like it. I want to say it makes sense and like not in a way that it's a good thing, but but it's true. Like in the we have, I guess we have sacrificed quality for quantity from a social media perspective, from a globalization perspective, from a, I don't know, more connected perspective. Yeah. And I think it's not that, um, I think it's about finding that balance because I think that wider connectivity is what we call weak ties, right? So in, in, I guess, network science language, they would say you have strong ties and weak ties. And historically, people have kind of over-prioritized strong ties at the expense of weak ties, which was unhelpful because weak ties give you access to new opportunities, you know, business development, jobs, um, you know, partners, et cetera. And so those weak ties are really, really valuable, but you need to strike a balance between those people who are going to give you access to that new information and new ideas and new opportunities and the people who are going to be there when things go wrong. And so, yeah, we need to beef that up a little bit more. It's, it's so interesting. And I wasn't even thinking about that, but it, it makes, it, it feels right. It makes so much sense because I, I, talk to law firms all the time where they're like, I want more followers. I want more connections. I want more of this. And I'm like, why? You know, you want more people actually sharing your stuff. You want more clients. You want more people that, you know, think of you as their number one lawyer, not the fact that they have to know 15 and you're just one of them. Um, that, so is there research into why that is? Is there like, have we changed? Are we, are we getting impacted a different way or just now that we have such access to everything on you know social media and, and the internet that that's been the, the root cause of this i i don't think it's I mean, with such a complex topic it's really hard to identify one source um a lot gotcha. of people talked about um the kind of the nuclear family 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 and basically how as because family is an important source of strong connections that are you know support to su supposed to support us with less 
cohesive families with a more divorce, with fewer children, with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those nuclear families are not able to provide the support, but you also don't have the expanded network that of, of families that you would have historically, right? So that's one piece of the puzzle. I think um, the, the a lot of people point to um, like the lack of intergenerational living, they look, they point to urbanization, they point to, I, I mean, a number of different kind of potential culprits, but I don't think it's, it's hard to identify one and say that's the root cause. And if we just fix that, you know, everything would fall into place. And when you say intergener intergenerational living, that would be like parents moving back in with their kids at the end of their, towards the end of their life. think of it even more basically, like when I, um, when I moved to London, one of the things that I noticed is I had a really hard time finding friends that weren't between the ages of 25 and 45. Like I just met a very, very narrow age range of people and could befriend quite a narrow age range of people. And so I think a lot of us in our daily lives, and you can do kind of an audit of your your network and say, okay, well, where, in which ways is it not diverse? And for me, that was a prime way in which it was not diverse. And so gotcha. I think intergenerational doesn't necessarily need to be your family, but it's just, are you interacting with in your community, people that are much younger and much older and able to learn and, and support each other? See, I'm at the point where like, if you don't have kids, I'm asleep when you're doing fun stuff. I think that's <laughs> hit that level um so so here's my question along those lines though so, so from that well-being perspective is there research tied to this that talks about that you know losing that core center makes us unhappy um so there's a there's actually interesting and and not to be kind of counterintuitive, but I just want to maybe throw a little bit of a wrench in the works. There's sure. one researcher that I find really interesting, and he wrote a book, he's a Harvard professor um, called Mario Small, and he wrote a book called Someone to Talk to. And his research actually showed that we think we rely on strong ties. So like if you, if, if someone asked you, who do you confide in when something's go wrong and you need to make an important decision, and you're going to name those reliance in your life, you know, your partner, your parents, your siblings, your, you know, mentor, whatever. But when things therapist. actually happen, therapists, yeah. Um, when things actually happen and they ask you, who did you confide in? It's like, oh, this, the barista, the guy at the, you know, the conference that I was standing next to in line, um, some colleague that I hadn't talked to, you know what I mean? And, and actually more than 50% of the time, it's not those people. And so this kind of disconnect in our mind is, uh, it's kind of funny, right? Is and what he says is that there's a lot of um, complexity in those relationships, those those tight connections, right? The, those people, those confidants that I that I just described. And so it's hard if your mom loves your partner and you're thinking things are not going that well. You might not tell your mom that because your mom's agenda might be to keep you two together because they really like your partner. And so. Maybe you're going to go tell somebody who's who's outside of that core circle because that's less um, um, less impactful. There's you know there's there's less less complexity. So I think that's not to totally disregard you know the previous statements, but I think it's just we're still learning. What does this really no, mean for us? And, and that was totally you answered my question by giving me the example in the opposite. So yeah. is there? From that research that talks about this, you know, sharing the most important things with people that aren't as important to us or aren't as central to us, does that give us the opposite or is it still who knows? Yeah, I think it's still who knows. And I think it's okay. a combination thereof, right? Like, I think you're probably not going to ask that person to help you move that couch, right? Or when you've been locked out of your apartment. Um, so I think it's um, in what situations do you need that? kind of um, release valve, right? Or, or somebody who can be objective and more distant from the situation. And in what situations do you really need somebody who you can just, that you can hand your kid to, right? So now, so the, yeah, the, uh, the David Homan billionaires are people you trust with your children. 
Um, <laughs> but so it, it sounds like what really what we need, and this is this is the ultimate millennial answer, right? Like we need an app that's like half Clubhouse and half Chat Roulette, where you just connect <laughs> with a random person, you both pour your heart out to each other. There's no way for you to know who you're talking to, and then you're done, and it, or you go to somebody else the next time or whatever. Like that there, seems to be what we're moving towards. There, there are things like that that do exist, actually. Oh, well, there we go. Um, Even better. Yeah, I'm I sure think the, the tough part with chat roulette is um, avoiding Correct. undesirable yeah. situations. No, I got that. We would we make a very strong uh, don't be naked policy. But <laughs> yeah, I just, it's, 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 it's fascinating to me. Everything you've talked about clicks for me from a life sense, clicks for me from a business sense but I never before try to click those things together. And so I've, I've loved this chat. I'm uh, so as, glad. As we get towards the end though, I wanna make sure I don't keep you away from some key points because I'm still fascinated by this. So in terms of how relationships uh, shape our well-being, our relationship, our community, our businesses, anything else you wanna make sure we cover? Are there any large topics that we skipped over? Gosh, that's a big question. I mean, I think that for, for people like who are kind of new to this or kind of like, okay, I want to, they want an action point. They want something that they can do. Right. So it's like, well, what do I do now? Like, I'm, I, I'm not where I want to be, or I, like, I, I, I don't understand how I want to change things, but I feel like there's something better. What, what can they do? And I think there's this is almost verbatim going to be my next question. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's convenient. Yeah. That's very convenient. So I think that it's, it's really helpful. And I know, again, this is going back to another myth. Some people believe that if you quantify it, you lose the magic, right? That somehow certain things shouldn't be quantified, right? But every once in a while, people have to make a list of who's going to get invited to the wedding or who they're going to send a holiday card to or whatever. They have to choose who is in and who is out, right? And so I think that doing a, a reflection of some sort where you attempt to map your network. Um, and uh, that's where the book will come in handy because it actually talks to explains how to do that. And I'm happy to share more um, resources in that regard. But I think taking a look and taking stock of your current situation and seeing where you might be not utilizing connections. Um, you know, a lot of people during COVID, what they've been doing is really reaching out to the people who were weak ties in their network, they already had a connection in, but they hadn't really harnessed it, right? And so um, this is one way to, to figure out who are those people. Um, so I think doing that sort of exercise to see who is in my network, what characteristics do they have? What are the gaps? Like where, where am I either missing people that I think would be really valuable, um, either in terms of geography, in terms of skill set, in terms of... Uh, uh, identity or cognitive diversity, right? How can I, you know, make a more complete, more whole, more diverse network? And then where am I over underlining, uh, underutilizing the, those people in the network? I think it's a really valuable first exercise. And what's the, so I, we're talking about this concept of being influenced by the people in our network, in their network, in their network, in their network. Yep. How much control does that really leave us to I don't want to say change who we are, but like to guide these closer, these weak ties into, into stronger ties, or at least into not as weak ties. Yeah. Well, I think um, what we, we can do is we can, I mean, we can only control our own interactions, right. And how we respond to a situation, right. We, we can't control other people's actions, but I think we can set an intention and, and you can see where where the universe responds, right? Where where people are reciprocating, and then um, put your emphasis on that, right? So I think there's a little bit of a you need to come like what they call smart luck or serendipity, right? Like you need to come prepared, and so then you can take advantage of the opportunity when it presents itself. But you can't brute force your way, you know, into a close relationship with somebody who's not prepared to do it. So I think it's it's there's a little bit of a balance there. But setting the intention is is a great first step. And it would sound like the more specific we make that hole in our network, that I don't want to say the, the easier it would be to build a better relationship with the person that we found, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think because you'd be really clear, you'd be motivated, right? You'd have a clear reason as to why I want to do this. Um, and you would have 
uh, you'd set an intention around it, right? You'd probably take proactive steps to say, okay, well, if I want to meet more, I, I don't know, um, what's a, a estate planners or whatever, who in my network do I know that know people in that space or how, like, what, what um, activities can I get involved in? What things can I do in order to, to bring more people like that into my, into my orbit so that I can build a meaningful connection with them? So I think it's, yeah, that's the first step. And one of my, along what you just said, one of my favorite suggestions for law firm owners is talk to your clients. So if you've got, you know, like if you're a criminal defense attorney and a lot of your clients have drug issues, talk to them about, have you seen, have you gone to somebody or you go into counseling, you go into therapy and then, you know, connect with the people that they've liked. If you're PI and they've been treated by medical providers, ask them about the experience, connect with the ones that did a great job, build that relationship for future clients to have a similar experience and utilize that shared client, utilize that shared experience of their case, utilize that shared knowledge base of the intersection of their job and your job to your, I guess, advantage. In terms yeah, of building to your mutual advantage, right? I mean, I think this is, okay. and again, going back to a lot of people who feel like networking is icky, right? Or it makes them feel dirty. This is not about extracting value from people and and being kind of calculating in, in that pursuit. This is really about looking for opportunities where where everybody gains, right? That everybody benefits from that situation. That's so true. And, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump on that with an example of something you talked about before, like with parents, you know, imagine your mom came to you and said, Hey, I need somebody to help me with so-and-so. And it's not something that you can specifically do. So by having a great person to send your parents to your mom to, you are helping them. The person who's getting there, the person that's getting their money to help them with their needs, you're helping them. And you're helping yourself by not having to hear your parents complain about it by not having to hear, you know, that it went wrong. If, you know, I had, my parents just had, a, uh, my mom had her second hip replacement. They had to get a banister put up, up like two steps to get into their house. And like, thank God they found somebody great. Cause I don't want my mom in the middle of physical therapy to like lean on the banister and have it fall over. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's an interesting concept of, I, I like how you've reframed it to that win. It really should be win, win, win the referral source, the referred person and the referred to source. Yeah. Well, it's, it's your, you're building social capital, right? Your mom is like, wow, that person, you know, my son knows all sorts of useful people. And, you know, the other person is like, wow, this person has gotten me a job and he was willing to, to have his mom be my client. Like he must really trust me. Right. So, so I think it's, it, yeah, it absolutely is a win all around. Love it. All right. So as we get towards the end, um, our next episode is going to air on September 9th. So we will not have an episode on Monday for Labor Day. We will come back on the 9th with Jess Birkin. Jess is going to talk to us about the five rules to improve your life and law practice. Uh, I first got connected to Jess because she was on somebody else's podcast. She did a great presentation on the subscription model being more like Netflix inside of a law firm. So I'm really excited to hear what she has to share about how you use that or how you use different billing practices or how you combine those things to improve your life and your law practice at the same time. But that being said, I'm not going to let you go, Erica, without that final nugget of wisdom. So for anybody who's listening to this, who for the last 50 minutes remembers absolutely nothing you said, except here, what would be your biggest piece of advice, your best wisdom on how they can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? Well, I would say spend time you are the sum of the people you spend time with, right? So think about who you are spending time with and what that means for, for who you are and who you will become and, uh, and proactively make changes to, to put yourself in the position for success. I love it. And, and the beauty of that is you can get super niche with that in the standpoint of getting in front of the right people or getting in front of the people that will impact you in the way you want. You know, if you want to be healthier, try to connect with more people who are whatever you're, whatever you mean by healthy. If you want to run, connect with people who are runners. You know, you want to learn, you want to get more into comic books, connect with people that are comic book collectors. You want to get into whatever it is, business habit, uh, business hobby, whatever. And I feel like you'll build better connections the more specific you get because you'll be the only lawyer that they know, or you'll be the only lawyer of this that they know, or you'll be the only you know person that they know who's a professional or whatever the relationship becomes, but you're really doing, I think, a disservice to yourself by forcing yourself into an echo chamber 
instead of trying to connect with more different people. Agreed. Wonderful. And because we do have some time, I do want to make sure, I don't think this was on the recording. Um, we were talking before we began about combining your personal and professional network. So can we do like two minutes on that? Because I agree with you and people don't always agree with us. So like, let's make them do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, work is a subset of life, right? And your connections come from all aspects of your life. And so I think to put an artificial barrier between personal and professional connections is, is an unhelpful dichotomy that just segregates, you know, just compartmentalizes parts of your life that, that don't allow you to create additional synergies and additional opportunities. So that's, um, yeah, that's my, my two cents on it. I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but I'm thinking about some people. And if you're listening to this, yes, I'm thinking about you. Um, yes. And, you know, I go back to there's 1.3 million attorneys in the United States. There's 400,000 law firms. So why is somebody going to hire you? You know, it's probably not solely because you do personal injury law, because in my office, within 100 feet of my office, there's a thousand of us. It's going to be because I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. It's going to be because you're a parent. It's going to be because you go to the same school and you're the, you know, homeroom mom or homeroom dad or whatever it is. It's going to be because you, you know, both chaperone this field trip. It's going to be because, you know, you both like this movie. It's because you both went to the same rock concert, whatever it's going to be. It's going to be something really hopefully fun and unique and enjoyable. And by combining those things, you get to have more fun, I think. Yeah, because you actually get to enjoy the people that you're working with and working for. Yes. And that being said, I got to leave because I got to go play golf with a bunch of other attorneys because we like that. And hopefully, <laughs> you know, we'll bond and we'll pass referrals and we'll have a great time. So, but seriously, thank you so much for joining us. It was really wonderful. This was different than I expected in a good way because it was so interesting for me to finally see that connection of the dots between this and you know these the two sides of what we do um to anybody else listening or watching you've got Erica's contact information on here the biggest one being the reliance or www.reliantsproject.com you've got access to Erica's book on there and then also follow her on LinkedIn linkedin.com slash in slash Erica E Young uh and that's all I got thank you so much Thank you. It's been a treat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of successful attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E. 